Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program and we're doing meditation together. I'm going to be guiding you guys in a loving kindness meditation because on Wednesdays we rotate these back and forth at this part of the program where one Wednesday we will do breathing mindfulness meditation and the next Wednesday we'll do loving kindness meditation. So today is loving kindness meditation. It's an opportunity for us to come together to encourage, support, and motivate each other in our meditation practice and for you to get answers to any and all questions that you might have related to the path to enlightenment in the teachings of the Buddha. So we'll start with the meditation and then we'll go into questions after the meditation opening up to anything that you guys would like to ask about. Remember this guided loving kindness meditation, I start with some chanting to ease the mind into meditation. There's nothing mystical or magical with these chants. It's not a prayer or worship or rites or rituals. It's just to ease the mind into meditation. And if you've learned these chants, you're welcome to chant along. Then we'll do a brief breathing mindfulness meditation, probably just about five minutes or so. And then we'll move into loving kindness meditation where I'll guide you guys in that meditation. And then we'll come out with some more breathing mindfulness meditation and then end it off with some chanting. And then after that, that's where we'll open up to any questions. So I'd like to welcome all of you to our class today, whether you're joining us for the first time or you've been joining regularly, I'd like to welcome all of you at the same time go ahead and invite you to join for meditation. So if you'd like to take a position, either seated, lying, or standing, these tend to work really well for loving kindness meditation as well as online learning. And make your body comfortable. The lower body and the hands and arms should be completely relaxed and the upper body should be erect. I've taught this in other classes where I've helped you and guided you in how to set up your body in a way that's not luxurious and that's not painful so that it can be comfortable. So if you're sitting on the floor that's with your legs lightly crossed and your hands and arms resting in your lap, perhaps with the right hand over the left and the thumbs together. And if you're in a chair, you might just be sitting in a chair with your feet either flat on the floor or crossed at the ankles. There's not just one fixed way to do this with your body positioning because everybody's body's different. So you'll need to find what's comfortable for the lower body and the hands and arms. The upper body should be erect. This keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. So be sure the upper body is erect, but not real stiff and real rigid because the mind would be overactive and uptight, but also not slouched either because then the mind would be complacent in that situation. So the upper body should be erect to keep the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. Next, if you'd like to join with the chants, you can do that, or you might just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose, starting to establish the breath. And then I'll be back with some guidance after the chanting. 
just establishing the breath, breathing in gradually through the nose, establishing a nice, natural, steady, consistent breath, not forced or controlled, just a gradual inhale through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And whenever you're ready, exhale out through the nose, breathing in in out. Your breath isn't going to necessarily match up with the guidance that I provide. This is your practice. I'm just here for guidance to remind you to breathe in through the nose. And whenever you're ready, 
exhale out through the nose. Breathing in. In, out. Once the breath is well established, start fixating the mind on the breath. Either the sound of the breath coming into the nose or the sensation of air as it moves into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Then, once you notice that the mind is moved off the breath, cut that off, let it go. Bring it back to the breath. No need to observe the thought, label it, analyze it, or even try to figure out where it's coming from. Just wherever you notice that the mind is moved off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of focusing on the breath, cutting off and letting go any time the mind moves off the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in and out.
Continuing to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Whenever you get to your next out breath, repeat these affirmations in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all those who are close to me be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes.
May all those who I interact with today be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all those who have harmed me be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all those who I have harmed be peaceful.
may they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be safe. beings be well. May all beings be free of discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Now return back to breathing mindfulness meditation, focusing on the breath. Breathing in in out.
to gradually make your way out of meditation. We can transition over to asking questions, anything that you guys would like to talk about related to the path to enlightenment. You can put those questions into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. There's a comment section where if you put your question into there, the moderator will see that and be able to be sure your question gets asked during the class. And in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow up questions directly. So I'll just turn things over to all of you guys to ask any and all questions that you might like to ask. Thank you, sir. Christine has her hand raised in Zoom, so we'll go to her. Hello, teacher. Thank you for this class. And I would like to ask, it's hard to, to actually uh, word it, so I'm going to try my best to word it, and I hope that you're going to understand mean um, and so it's basically I have the feeling the first thing is I'm so sensitive to other people's energies and I don't know how to not get into the same energy as the people around me um, 
like if somebody is, is nervous or or stressed or angry, I, I, I pick up on that so fast and then suddenly I have the same thing too and I don't know how to let go of it if I have to stay around that person. I, I can leave and take care of the, of the feeling, um, but if I stay around this person for a longer time and I have to interact with that person, I'm having a really hard time. Um, so that's the first one. And the second one is that I noticed that I don't know if it's possible or if I'm just not mindful enough that often I have just only like kind of bodily sensations or tensions in the body uh, without having an actual thought that I could detect mm -hmm. that would cause that bodily sensations and emotions. Um, for example, if I, if I go and uh, if I'm around people and uh, I don't know if for a work, I give a workshop or something like that. I'm actually really happy to give this workshop and I, I, I'm happy to, to share all my knowledge with people. But at the same time, there is so much tension in my body and I cannot detect a thought thinking like, oh my God, am I going to do it good enough? Oh my God, are they going to like me? But it gotta be there somehow because this tension gotta come from somewhere. So my question is how to detect the thought? Do I even need to detect it? Or how to let go of this tension if I cannot detect the thought? Okay. So normally I would have students just ask one question at a time, but these questions are that's okay. These questions are actually related because when you're around somebody who is stressed or having anxiety or being angry, if you're experiencing any kind of discomfort, it's because of your cravings, desires, attachments. There's no energy that's coming from them that's causing your mind to be discontent or feeling anxious or uncomfortable. It's your cravings, desires, attachments. There's some mental longings and strong eagerness that's there. And you've got to look inward and discover what is it? Am I craving for this person to not be angry? Am I craving for this person to like me? Am I craving for this person to be peaceful? Am I craving mm -hmm. polite words? And it feels like they're not going to be polite and respectful to me. So therefore, I'm afraid of their harsh words. There's some cravings, desires, attachments that are in there that's causing that discomfort. And because of those craving, desire, attachments, what you'll experience, and this is good that you're experiencing it, is the bodily sensations will occur first and you'll start noticing bodily sensations prior to the mind becoming discontent. Then the mind will experience the feelings, which is anger, sadness, frustration, any of those discontent feelings, pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or neither painful nor pleasant. Then if you don't let go of it there, either at the bodily sensations or the feelings, then it's going to affect the condition of the mind for several hours or days or maybe a week or two. And then it feeds these mental objects. These mental objects are deeply rooted containers in the mind, like central desire or ill will or conceit, things like this, the 10 fetters and others. These are mental objects that are in the mind and you're looking to uproot this. So what you're looking to do is be observant of those bodily sensations. It's actually really helpful that you are 
observing certain bodily sensations and there's probably others as well that you're just not maybe tuned into right now but as you meditate and you train your mind in breathing mindfulness meditation you'll develop that awareness of mind and you'll get more and more aware of the bodily sensations in daily life that are occurring prior to the mind becoming discontent so you can cut it off and let it go before it becomes a feeling but that comes with training. You're not gonna be able to easily do that. Sometimes it's gonna become a feeling and then you try to cut it off there. And what you can do here is you can try to redirect the mind to something else. And then as your mind calms down and you gain your composure, whether that's a, a few minutes or a few hours or a few days, you would like to start looking inward. This is what is in chapter 13 of the book. We're about to cover that in about another week and a half, but you can look at it now if you like. In volume one, chapter 13, I talk about looking inward and looking to uncover your cravings, desires, attachments, and identifying them because your mind needs to be introspective and be able to look inward. And you named some that could potentially be the case that maybe you're wanting to be perceived in a certain way or maybe you're trying to uphold a certain reputation maybe a certain image or identity you'll need to look inward and see what that is and sometimes it's best to do that afterwards when the mind is no longer discontent but it's also possible to do it in the moment too if there's not too much discontentedness there if you're not like you know furiously angry which i don't think happens for you as we've talked but if you know just feeling a little bit icky and uncomfortable sometimes you can look inward and like what does the mind want just ask yourself that what do i want what do I want? What am I wanting here? Because if you can uncover that, and sometimes it's more than one thing, it's not always just one thing. Sometimes it's multiple things. And when you can uncover those and work to eliminate them the way that I teach with breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity, but also there are certain things in chapter 13 that is a way to identify your uh, attachments because you need to identify them and then eliminate them. And in chapter 13, I introduce a new tool to help people understand how to eliminate them. So these questions are actually connected, but if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to ask Christine. Thank you very much. This was really helpful, especially the explanation that I'm actually not picking up on the energy, but that it's just my craving, and I think it's my craving mm -hmm. for them to be peaceful. You really named it. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna do more introspection and see what other things that I'm wanting there. Mm -hmm. Uh, that I cannot see right now. Thank you. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Is it possible for everybody around you to always be peaceful? It's, it's not no, possible, because right? because that's impermanence. Right, the universal truth of impermanence. So if your mind's craving for everyone to always be peaceful, when they're not peaceful, you're going to be discontent. So you need to just realize that there's beings in your life that are struggling and that are challenged and they're going to sometimes be angry they're going to sometimes be frustrated or have anxiety but that doesn't mean that you need to be angry or frustrated or having anxiety you can remain unaffected that your mind can be protected by eliminating craving desire attachments and understanding impermanence your mind can get to a point where it's protected that somebody can be hostile and aggressive and angry and it doesn't even affect you at all that sounds so amazing thank you <laughs> you're welcome Thank you, sir. I also have a few questions. I was wondering, um, when practicing loving kindness meditation, why are affirmations said in the mind and not out loud? 
they can be said out loud. They don't have to just be said in the mind, but typically we have them in the mind because it allows the mind to be more introspective, where oftentimes when we're vocalizing, it's more kind of broadcasting into the outward direction. But if you don't vocalize and you just keep it inside the mind, then the work that you're doing to eliminate that anger, hatred, and ill will, which is what loving kindness meditation is doing through cultivating loving kindness, this genuine interest of all beings being well, by being quiet, the mind becomes more introspective, looking inward and creating more transformation in the mind that way. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. My other question is about uh, different techniques of meditating. So from what I've experienced with meditation, I know that the two main methods of, you know, techniques of meditating that you've taught us, loving kindness and breathing mindfulness, I'm starting to see like the results of them and I can see how they would produce um, enlightenment for the mind. But I was wondering, are there other techniques that could potentially be useful even if they don't produce enlightenment? Since the lifetime of the Buddha, there's been countless meditations that people have invented and created for different reasons. And the ones that I've had exposure to and looked at, they're actually doing things that are counterproductive to what the Buddha taught. Things like listening to music or allowing thoughts to come into the mind and observing the thoughts or labeling the thoughts, things like this. The thing is, is that a Buddha is a originator, discoverer, and declarer of the path to enlightenment. They got to enlightenment by themselves. So by the time that they are ready to start teaching and sharing the teachings that led to their enlightenment, the only thing that they know is the path to enlightenment. Their wisdom is very deep and very profound because anything that didn't lead to their enlightenment, they discard it. Where other beings are holding on to certain things that didn't necessarily lead to their enlightenment, maybe out of respect for their teacher or something else along these lines. So if you look at what the Buddha taught and you understand the three poisons and the ten fetters and these being the primary problems that the Buddha discovered in the unenlightened mind and how he's suggesting to antidote those through his guidance, then you can see where the meditations directly fit in to these poisons and why he taught these two primary forms of meditation. And then there's these two secondary forms that are specialized that not everybody's going to actually need. So when people start straying away from a Buddhist teachings, they're really going into a very murky area because what a Buddha is doing during their life in this Buddha, he taught for 45 years is he's illuminating the path to enlightenment through his spoken words and through his practice and through his guidance. He's putting lights down along the path and showing people very clearly what is the path to enlightenment? What does it take to get to enlightenment? And once people start changing, it's like knocking over the lights. It's like turning them off. It's like really muddying the waters and graying those edges where he's illuminating the path very clearly and putting lights down along the side of the path. It's like knocking those over and now people can't see very clearly what is the path to enlightenment and they can veer off the path and get into all kinds of difficulties and, and troubles doing things like I mentioned, like, you know, meditating with candles and incense and music and all of these different things or observing your thoughts, labeling your thoughts uh, with loving kindness meditation. Some people even think that 
Their goal is to change other people in their loving kindness meditation. If you don't understand that the real problem is rooted in your own mind and it's these specific poisons and that these meditations are exact antidotes for them, then you're not seeing the correlation and the connection between the teachings of what's plaguing the mind and the solutions of how to fix those. So I don't have experience of these other meditations because I never divulged into them. You know, I I tried a little bit of music here or there. I did incense a little bit here and there. I tried a little bit of using mala beads here and there. You know, I tried to do a little couple things like that, but I saw very quickly that they distracted the mind and they dissuaded the mind in the wrong direction. While there's lots and lots of people that are teaching those things and are doing those things, I would highly encourage you to just stick with what the Buddha taught exactly as he taught it, because I know with 100% certainty that what he taught leads to enlightenment for sure. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. I have tried uh, to, um, I have tried different things with meditation, so I've always stuck to the ones that the Buddha teaches. But I've also done other ones every now and then to kind of see how it feels. And types of meditations, they don't involve anything materialistic like beads or incense. They're more inside of the mind. So one of the the ones that I did was just imagining yourself connected to everything around you. Um, Sort of, it's supposed to bring like loving kindness towards everybody else because you're seeing yourself integrated with everything around you. Um, So I was wondering, would something like that potentially be be beneficial to accompany the, you know, the practice of the Buddha's meditation techniques. That one specifically, I don't see any harm in that. If you're also ensuring that, you know, 80 or 90% of your practice is the breathing mindfulness and loving kindness, the way that I I share it with you. If you have, you know, 10 or 20% of things that you're doing that are outside of that, and it connects with what you're trying to accomplish, which in this case, you're trying to accomplish loving kindness and compassion for all beings. And what you just described can potentially accomplish that. And that's what we would call like a visualization technique, perhaps that while you're meditating, you're doing visualization. And this can potentially be helpful for you. There's even things here, like I have a friend that teaches at the temple with me that does gong meditation. He has these big gongs and he produces this very unique sound out of the gongs. And people just lay there and instead of focusing on the breath, they focus on the sound of the gong. And this brings the mind into the present moment and really deeply roots it into the present moment. And this can be helpful, you know, maybe 10, 20% of the time or as you're just getting started. But if somebody's mind got fixed to that, where they were regularly doing that, now they're dependent on this person making the sound out of the gongs and you don't have a dedicated, independent purposeful training session. Your meditation isn't independent anymore. It's dependent on this gong or dependent on this person. So, you know, there's that room in there, which what I share in chapter 11 about meditation is I share that 80 or 90% of the time, it would be very wise to do breathing mindfulness and loving kindness the way that I share, which is based on the teachings of the Buddha. But then that leaves that 10 or 20% of space there to do other things. But be sure that if you're doing other things, you're not doing things that are counterproductive to what you're actually trying to accomplish. So if you were doing a meditation that 
focuses on the breath, but you allow the thoughts to come into the mind, for example, and you observe them and you label them and do all these other things, or if you did counting or things like this, this is all anti-productive towards what you need to be doing in that 80 or 90% of the time frame. So things like what you're describing and other things are out there that could potentially be beneficial, but you would like to do what you're doing, which is run it past somebody who understands more about the mind and getting to enlightenment and what needs to be cultivated. Because if you go out there and you start trying a whole bunch of different things, you could be putting the mind in a position where it's now regressing. Because if you are practicing 80 or 90% of the time using the techniques that what I share is related to the teachings of the Buddha, but then 10 or 20% of the time you're doing things that are exactly opposite or somehow impactful in a negative way, then you're kind of undoing all the work that you're doing during that 80 or 90% of the time. So it's very wise that you're asking these questions and follow-up questions to share the types of meditations and what you're doing in those meditations so that you can get input and advice of whether they're helpful or whether they're unbeneficial. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. There are a few uh, very similar to what I've described earlier, sort of visualization um, exercises that I do here and there, and I I do find them quite useful. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do want to, I do have a follow-up question, which is Mm -hmm. about uh, your response earlier to Christine, which you mentioned something about how others can't give you energy or transfer to you energy. And I was wondering what were your thoughts on, uh, for instance, Reiki, which works on this principle of sending healing energy to someone. Uh, I'm just wondering what you think about that. I've only ever experienced one Reiki session in my life, and it was interesting, but I don't see for myself being untrained in Reiki. I don't see how it would actually solve any type of physical issue in the body. It could potentially. I don't have the training in Reiki. I did do a lot of Thai massage and other types of massage as one part of my life. And we helped a lot of people through this style of massage. And that style of massage is based on what we refer to as energy work. However, when I look at it very closely, it appears what people have been describing as energy work and applying pressure on certain in Thai, we call Zen lines or Zen, and in you know Chinese medicine, they're called Chinese meridians and things like this. I suspect that what really occurred is that there's physical structures that are being pressed on and that are improving the condition of the body, but they've been referred to as energy or energy lines and things like this. I have never seen energy transfer from one person to another. I don't think that this is possible. I don't think the body has actual energy the way that, you know, some mystical or magical force, even though I used to teach this before because I believed in those kind of things. But now seeing the truth and observing true reality, what I see is I see, you know, and I can independently verify that there's blood, there's veins, there's nerves, there's tendons, there's ligaments, there's all these different things, all these physical structures. And yes, when you press in certain areas, you can feel that radiating in different parts of the body. But whether that's actual energy or just a physical structure, to me, all I can independently prove is that it's a physical structure. I can't independently prove the energy or this life force in the body. And 
when other people are around, we might say like, oh, their energy is low or they are toxic or things like this and their energy is affecting me. This is wrong view. You know, if you understand right view is that anything you experience is a result of your decisions. So if you're from the mindset that this person is toxic, you know, first of all, that's judgment and one's own ego, putting themselves above others, which you need to eliminate. But the next thing is that, okay, I can't be comfortable. I can't be content and peaceful around this person because they are toxic. This is blaming the other person for the feelings that one experiences. And one isn't going to get to enlightenment and liberation that way. In order to get to enlightenment and liberation, an enlightened being can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy no matter who they're around. So if somebody's angry and hostile and aggressive, an enlightened being can still be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. There's nothing that anybody can do that will shake up that mind. So if there really is truly energy that's coming from another being and being transferred to this being, then that means in a person who's enlightened, that means somebody with bad energy, so to speak, quote unquote, bad energy. That means that person could then affect the mind of that other person. But as your mind gets closer and closer to enlightenment or it's enlightened, you can see that in situations where you might have thought people's energy was affecting you in reality it was your own cravings desires attachments that were affecting you that you can get to a point where you're completely unaffected no matter what's going on around you your mind isn't shaken up by it and this gives you the proof and the evidence that there is no such thing as transference of energy because if there was that means you'd be subjected to whatever anybody around you is doing and now that's going to promote wrong view that one thinks that the goal on this path is to push aside anybody who has quote unquote bad energy because I can't be peaceful if there's somebody who has bad energy around me. But that's not right view. And that's not what's gonna lead to training the mind and getting to this enlightened mental state. Because as I shared, an enlightened being can be peaceful and harmonious with anybody and everybody around them. Those other people might not be peaceful and harmonious. They may be aggressive and hostile and bitter, and you might choose to walk away from the situation, but you can maintain your contentedness and peacefulness and your joy no matter what's going on around you. There's no such thing as someone being able to transfer their energy to another being. Yeah, okay. Well, I think if I think about how I would rephrase my question or try to refine it, uh, when I'm when I practice Reiki, because I have been practicing it for a while now, and essentially, like, it works on a chakra system, which is kind of energy points in your body. And when I have given Reiki before, people have always find it very calm and peaceful. And obviously, it could just be because they're standing still for a bit and just not thinking about anything. But at the same time, you know, there are certain sensations that I have in my hands, for example, like heat, that everybody else who practices Reiki has them, and they're all the same. Um, and they have seen benefits for people in real life. If they had, for example, a broken bone, mm -hmm. um, an advanced Reiki practitioner could heal the, you know, help the body heal. And I guess that's what I'm kind of talking about in terms of energy and not really um, other people's feelings and how they sway your own mind 
if that makes sense. Because yeah. I know that that's I know that's very common for people to think that other people's emotions sways them as well. Yeah. So when I was receiving the one Reiki session that I ever had, I did feel at certain times something coming from the person's hands that did produce some kind of sensation in my body. It was very minimal. It was very insignificant, but I did feel something that they weren't touching me physically, but I could feel that there was some kind of sensation, but I wouldn't say that it promoted any kind of wellness or healing in the body. Keep in mind that everything that's on the path to enlightenment taught by the Buddha is all about training the mind. So any of these body modalities, that's outside of what the Buddha taught. And if you train your mind as the Buddha taught on the path to enlightenment, if the mind is tranquil, the body will be tranquil as well. So when the mind is carrying around craving, desire, attachment, this is a real burden for the mind to carry around and you'll feel utterly exhausted and you'll have all kinds of different bodily sicknesses in the body based on carrying around the craving, desire, attachments. Because just like if the mind is tranquil, the body is tranquil, the reverse is true too, that if the mind is stressed and having anxiety and all these other discontent feelings, the body is going to experience that because there's a connection between the mind and the body. So when one focuses on training the mind, they will observe that the body will become tranquil and will become very much at ease and very peaceful, where when you have craving, desire, attachment, and those other pollutions in mind, you can get to the end of your day and just feel utterly exhausted and wiped out, having carried around all these pollutions for so much time throughout your day and experiencing the up and down of the pleasant feelings, the painful feelings, the mind going up and down throughout the day. But always keep in mind that what the Buddha taught is focused on training the mind, not the body modalities. And if there's people who focus on the body modalities and they have experience in that and people use it and find benefit in it, wonderful. You know, if somebody uses Reiki and they find a lot of benefit in it, absolutely wonderful. Or yoga or massage or any of these kind of things. These things are all around for a reason. Uh, you know, acupuncture and things like this. If people use those and benefit from them, outstanding. I would encourage people to try to create scientific studies that can be in a controlled environment and we can see very clearly that something is working or isn't working. But oftentimes these things are kept around in humanity because they are working. If there's something that was invented 5,000 years ago, for example, and if it's still around today, Typically, that's because it works and it's effective. Otherwise, humanity would have discarded it. So just keep in mind that the Buddhist teachings are all about training the mind. And when you do so, you will experience that the mind's tranquil and the body's tranquil. And then all the body modalities, if you go to people who are experts in body modalities, then they'll be able to share with you their thoughts on that. And I would just encourage you to look at scientific studies to be able to see that and then through your own experiences too because there can be placebo effects and things like this that are going on and it's helpful to create some kind of scientific study where you can have a controlled group a placebo group and things like this yeah that would be very interesting from what i know reiki's been around for over a hundred thousand years it was something discovered in during the lemurian times and it kind of was lost and then a long time ago, someone rediscovered it through doing meditation. This was after the Buddha's life. And 
they they were practicing some of the Buddhist Buddhist teachings and how that's how they kind of rediscovered Reiki, mm-hmm. which I think it's in and of itself fascinating. But yeah, that's really true, sir. As your mind becomes more aware and more has more wisdom, it can look more objectively at the different things that are in the world and decide whether it's beneficial or not. Yeah, when I was doing Thai massage and I was operating businesses that were around Thai massage, I mean, we were absolutely benefiting people and helping people. And even though we taught it as energy work, there was obviously a lot of physical effects and there was even effects to the mind as well. And there were countless situations where people were headed for surgery or they were on all kinds of medications and they were able to completely transform their life through this body work. So all of these things have a place in the world and they can be helpful and each individual needs to choose for themselves what's working and what's not working. I know with 100% certainty the teachings of the Buddha work and lead to enlightenment exactly like he said. And if somebody needs to use some kind of body modality along the way to help them, then so be it. But if they're only doing the work on the body and they're not addressing the mind, the problem is going to keep reoccurring over and over. And that's what I observed when I was in the Thai massage world, that as much as we were doing Thai massage and fixing people's body, because they weren't also working on the mind, it was only a matter of a week or two or three or a month or two that their body would be right back in the same situation because the mind is the boss and the body's the employee. The body's just following whatever is in the mind. If the mind's polluted and muddled and plagued by these pollutions that the Buddha shares, then it's going to be affected in the body. So no matter how much massage or other physical things that we're doing to the body, if the person isn't also addressing their mind, then they're not getting a complete solution. That is very interesting, sir, that you said that, because Dr. Rushui, who rediscovered Reiki, he was offering it freely to everybody in his community to help them. And some of them, like you said, were ill, you know, their body was weak and they needed to to heal the body. And he would offer these healings to them. And after a while, he realized that people were coming to get healed, but then they would go back to doing exactly what they were doing that mm-hmm. were making the mill. So that's when he kind of came up with this um, idea of making people more uh, aware of their responsibility to heal themselves and not rely on on something else to heal them. Yeah, the person needs to be treated. The person that we call the person, it's the physical body and it's the mind in the combination of these things we call the person. So if we're only addressing the body and that's it, then we're leaving out this big important piece. If that part isn't being healed and isn't being addressed, then the person is going to keep experiencing the same symptoms in the physical body over and over and over again. And I saw this throughout the years that I was doing that body work. And that's part of what led me to where I am today, that I knew that no matter how much I helped people with body work, that if I wasn't able to help people with their mind, that they weren't going to get the healing and the improvement that they needed. So I decided to focus on the mind. And my wife, she still does the body work. She's been doing it since she's nine years old and she's 48 now, 49. You know, so she is uh, focused on that. And of course, she does the work on the mind through the Buddhist teachings herself for her own practice, but she doesn't teach it. She teaches body work and she does body work. 
and uh, yoga as well. She's a yoga instructor, all those kind of things. And I focus on the path to enlightenment and helping people train their mind. So these two things combine, an individual can get a complete solution and real results. That's wonderful. Thank you, sir, for answering all of my questions. Yeah, you're welcome. Pleased to discuss these kind of things. This is long in my past, the bodywork stuff, but I still remember it, of course. Yes. We have a question on Facebook from Denise. They ask, I am having a difficult time dealing with aging of this body and the pain that comes along with this. Thank you, sir. I mean, I guess they're asking for some, some guidance on how to deal with that. Yeah, so it's important to understand that as the body ages, it's going to feel aches and pains, and this is normal. And they're impermanent, of course. We're going to feel them at different times, and other times we're not. We are in a period of time nowadays that we have lots of medical interventions. It's kind of interesting. We've been talking about this whole body thing, uh, and there's this question from Denise as well. So there's obviously Western medicine. There's traditional medicines. There's different body works and things like this. And I would encourage you to explore all those things to address the body. But once again, like we were just describing, if you're not addressing the mind as well, which I know you are, but if you're not addressing that with meditation and learning the other aspects of the path to enlightenment, then you're not going to ever fully get a complete solution. So even an enlightened being is going to experience some amount of physical pain. You can't escape physical pain as long as you're in the human state. This is one of the motivations that we have to take advantage of this human state, not waste it, and really apply ourselves to getting to enlightenment on the path to enlightenment so that you can get out of this whole cycle of rebirth. Because continuing to exist in any kind of existence, you're taking up these five aggregates of form, feeling, perceptions, volitional formations, and consciousness, or those volitional formations or choices and decisions. These are the five aggregates that make a living being a living being. So as long as there's continuous craving in the mind, you're going to keep being reborn and taking up these five aggregates over and over. So you can use this physical pain as motivation to continue to stay dedicated to your practice to get to enlightenment, but also be sure you address that physical pain with things like what we're talking about here. And you can get to a point where you significantly diminish the pain. And you can also get to a point where the mind relates to this pain differently. That in the unenlightened state, when all of our mind we know is in the mind, we know craving, desire, attachment, and we know that we want this body to be permanently healthy, that when we feel physical pain, we also experience mental anguish in the unenlightened state because when you feel that physical pain, the mind then starts craving and longing and yearning for permanent health. And now not only are you getting the physical pain, but you're getting the mental anguish too. The Buddha calls this two darts, that when you are experiencing physical pain in the unenlightened state, it's like getting two darts. The first dart is the physical pain. And then because the mind is untrained and it's craving for permanent health, there's a second dart that you experience, which is the mental anguish. And this intensifies the pain. It makes it feel even worse. But you can get to a point where when you train your mind that you feel that first dart, the physical pain, but you don't experience the mental anguish. You don't experience the second dart. So the physical pain is significantly muted as you train your mind to no longer crave 
when there's physical pain. So when there's physical pain, address it with certain physical modalities that can address that, but be sure that the mind's not craving permanent health because if you allow the mind to crave permanent health while it's experiencing physical pain, it's just going to enhance the physical pain because you're now going to experience this mental anguish. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. There are no more questions. Oh, looks like Christine has another question. <laughs> uh, if I still can ask one, I would like sure, to. Sure, you can ask as many as you like. <laughs> I'd like to give everybody else the opportunity to ask before I ask another one. That's why I waited. Um, so I sometimes really struggle with other people telling me um, that, well, you meditate so much. Why are you still annoyed, stressed, uh, whatever? And so that's the first part of this puzzle. And the second part of this puzzle, I hope this isn't two questions again, um, is that I find it really hard because I see, yeah, okay, I, I, I might have made a mistake here. I, I, I didn't do it right. Okay, I, yeah, that's true. I'm really stressed out now. But it annoys me that then the other party doesn't see their share in the in the thing that actually created the whole stress or something like that. But I, I guess I somehow need to let this go. But I, I would very much appreciate some reframing or some right view here because I see it, it always annoys me when at the end I'm the only one saying, yeah, okay, I'm stressed, sorry, uh, I didn't react right. Um, and then I'm, I feel like I'm walking away with all the blame of the situation. Okay. So it sounds like there's a craving in your mind for other people to acknowledge their issues and what they're experiencing. And you would like to get to a point where you don't have that craving anymore, that you understand that you're a work in progress and you're choosing to do that work and you need to identify the areas that you need to work on. If somebody else chooses to do that work, wonderful, but it's very rare for people to be willing to do the work and look at themselves and realize that their own mind is causing their own discontentedness. So you need to eliminate the craving, desire, attachment that other people will take responsibility for their aspects of their potentially bad behavior or their unvirtuous conduct or lack of moral conduct. That's for them to deal with. If they're not willing to take responsibility for their moral conduct and what they're contributing to a situation, then so be it. What you're on is you're on this independent journey to enlightenment. And if you can take stock and inventory of what it is you need to improve, that's what's really going to benefit your life. So in situations where something's happened and maybe 99% of what you did was very wise and helpful, but there was just 1% that was unwise, figure out your 1%. Who cares about the other person's 50% or 99%? You know, they need to care about that. Uh, and that's something that they should wisely attend to. But if they're not attending to it, then that's to their detriment. And you're not going to get to peace as long as you're craving for other people to do the work. So you've got to just focus on the main goal, which is your own work. And if somebody tries to throw up to you like, hey, you're meditating so much. Why are you still stressed? Why are you still having anxiety? You don't have to answer that, but if you would like to answer it, there's plenty of answers that you could say. I think you might even have some if I asked you, but 
of course, you're not enlightened yet. You know, you're not going to be peaceful 100% of the time. So you're a work in progress. You're on the path to enlightenment. You're journeying to enlightenment. Only an enlightened being is going to be completely stress-free and completely anxiety-free. So if other people are trying to put in your face that you meditate so much, but yet you still have stress, well, of course, because I'm still a work in progress, I'm still on the path to enlightenment. I have not yet attained enlightenment, so I'm doing that work. And you can say that to people and you can say things like that to people, but don't feel like you have to because what these people are trying to do is they're trying to twist your buttons, they're trying to twist your knobs and trying to get you all riled up. So you don't need to respond to somebody who's doing that. You can just know for yourself well, of course I'm still stressed. Of course I have anxiety because I still have pollution in my mind. I still am not yet enlightened, but I'm a work in progress and I'm working towards the ultimate goal and I'm not there yet. And that's okay because you can't snap your fingers and get to enlightenment. It's going to be a journey. And if other people want to diminish you and degrade you for that, I would look at those relationships and consider whether or not they're very supportive people in your life and whether it's wise to continue in those relationships. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Iona, do we have any more questions? Uh, no, sir, that's it, thank you. Okay, I'd like to thank all of you guys for the wonderful discussion and all the great questions. And thank you, Iona, for the moderation. And thank you all for deciding that today is a day that you would like to learn and understand the teachings of the Buddha and actually practice them through meditation. The next class on Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 12 of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment, which is volume one of this book series. In chapter 12, it's titled, Craving is the Problem, What is the Solution? And here it's a very short chapter that I suggest you read, just like all the chapters as we go through the program, is you can read before and or after class, and then come to class and I'll teach you what's in the book. But of course, I can't always teach you everything that's in the book. There's some things that I teach in classes that aren't in the book, and there's some things that are in the book that aren't in the classes. But nonetheless, the classes are an opportunity for you to learn what it is I'm able to share and get answers to any questions that you might have. So if you're reading the book before and or after class and you're coming to class to learn and get clarification and ask questions, all of this together is building up to developing your life practice. And of course, you're going to need regular consistent meditation about two or three times a day building up to 30 minutes or more. And it's going to take gradual training to build up to that. So take your time and be patient with yourself as you're building up your meditation practice. And then on Wednesday next week, we're going to be doing the breathing mindfulness meditation together in a similar format as this, where we'll do meditation first, and then afterwards we'll open up to any and all questions that you guys might have. And of course, on Saturdays, we have the Polycan in an English study group that some students like to take as well, which we go through all the other volumes of this book series, which is volumes two through 13. You're always welcome to join those classes as well. We start with a brief meditation, and then we study the actual words of the Buddha. So thank you all for your attendance. Thank you all for your dedication to developing your life practice. We'll see you guys in one of these future classes. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. 
There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.